As a vegan, do you ever feel like you're living in a parallel universe, aware of things that many others don't even seem to notice, let alone acknowledge? I'm Chrissy Benson, host of the Vegan Posse podcast. We talk with vegans from around the globe who, like you, are living lives of integrity and compassion with an eye toward justice through their personal stories. You'll come to see that you're not an outlier. In fact, you're part of an entire posse of individuals who aren't just keeping the peace, they're creating it through their food choices and beyond. You won't be saddling up, but you're in for the ride of your life. Welcome to the Vegan Posse. Hey, Posse, it's your host, Chrissy Benson. In today's world, there are few happy endings for farmed animals, and sometimes not even for humans. My new novel, Marrying Myself, tells the story of a woman named Julia Jones, who decides to take her happy ending into her own hands. And guess what? She's vegan. Yes, it's chiclet that's friendly to actual chicks. Check out Marrying Myself on Amazon and everywhere else. And please leave a nice review. It really helps. Now, on to our interview. Today, the vegan posse welcomes Tammy Hay. Tammy Hay has spent three decades eating vegan and organic and has recovered from being very ill with Crohn's disease and colitis. Tammy has a master's degree in live food, plant-based nutrition, and has studied with some of the world's top integrative MDs. She lives in a log country home on the prairie near Edmonton, Alberta, where she regularly hosts friends, family, grandchildren, retreat participants, yogis, foodies, and countless plants and sprouts. She is the author of Earth Gut, the story of peace, love, and microbes, the journey toward healing our digestion and our connection to earth. Tammy is also an ordained minister. Her blessing to all is that we find health, joy, and love in our journey home. Tammy, welcome to the Vegan Posse. Are you ready for the ride of your life? I am so ready. <laughs> Great. So ready yeah, and so honored. Thank you. Well, it's great to have you. We love Canadians. Um, so <laughs> tell me how how and why you went vegan. Yeah, well, thank you. That's a loaded question. It's, <laughs> yes. It's, it's really a transition, as you well know, as a fellow vegan and um, compassion warrior. But um, many years ago, probably about 17 years ago, I started having symptoms of digestive disorder. And it actually started way before that. So, you know, the gut stores, the gut is an is the epicenter for emotional processing. It really is. But also for health, you know, the, the beautiful energy of the gut, you know, nourishes our heart, our brain through that big, beautiful vagus nerve. And we store a lot there. We store a lot energetically in our hips and our gut center. And when I was a really little baby, probably about three to four weeks old, my mother was rushed to the hospital. Uh, she had a brain aneurysm. And I was just taken off breast milk immediately. And there was no formula around. So I was put on carnation evaporated milk. Mm -hmm. And I started um, feeling, you know, I, I guess the story went, I cried 24 seven. Aww. where the seeds of Crohn's I think started uh, and I always had, I always felt kind of bloated and things weren't kind of going through me very well so I was incredibly allergic to dairy right from the very beginning 
And then I um, ended up on quite a few rounds of antibiotics for ear infections. And as we well know that dairy is really connected to throat, nose, ear issues, the mucus forming, you know, properties in dairy that's supposed to make a calf, you know, 1500 pounds. But that's where I think it began. But when I really started looking at it is when I was a long distance runner. I, you know, I was managing a whole bunch of really great projects and I was flattened. I thought I had a one month flu that wasn't going to go away. I started wasting away pretty quick. I was already eating really well, very little flesh food. I didn't really ever enjoy flesh food. I stayed away from dairy, but it wasn't enough because I had stored a lot of emotion in that area. Sadness is stored in the large intestines actually. And I hit the wall and I got incredibly sick and I started researching and ended up at Hippocrates Health Institute it was my first place where I studied the three week. I did a three week raw food, um, a lot of juicing, wheatgrass, wheatgrass up the butt <laughs> to help alkaline the, and get rid of toxins. And I went there um, so ill that I couldn't even walk the beach. It's in West Palm Beach, Florida. And three weeks later, I went for a half an hour run. Wow. You, I had found the answer to wellness. It, How old were you at this time when this all happened? I was 40, uh, 44. Mm-hmm. Wow. So your dairy, your allergies to dairy, did you notice that when you were a kid or did the adults in your life pick up on that and help you steer clear of it? Or was it something that just kind of plagued you because nobody put the pieces together? Right. So my partner and I end up talking about this a lot because he's quite fascinated with childhood where I'm 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 a little less fascinated at this point. <laughs> I'm ready to put most of that stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. But the connection being is that um in my family, I was the youngest of seven kids. My my parents had their own issues and it was really kind of survival of the fittest, mm. honestly, honestly. But I mostly stayed away from dairy. But, you know, it's very addictive, right? I mean, you know, cheese is very addictive. The casein in cheese is, they call it casein morphine. And so, you know, I would eat it if it was available, if it was melted on something. But I always had a bloated kind of, um, a bloated kind of terrible feeling in my gut, which the links were never made back then between dairy and ear infections either. They're still not being made. It's quite atrocious. So I, my grandson still gets some dairy and I'm, and I'm really uh, working at, at trying to help his mother make the connection between his sinus and ear issues and dairy. So yeah, the connection yeah. wasn't made as a child. It was made when I really started studying integrative medicine, I'd stayed away from dairy for a long time, but that's when I really started understanding through working with integrative physicians, vegan in integrative physicians. Wow. Because, and how did you find the vegan integrative physicians? Because I know a lot of integrative physicians are not only not vegan, but somewhat anti-vegan. Right. Right. So my first research, so before I went to Hippocrates, I started researching on my own. One of the first books I came across was carbohydrate specific diet. It was written by a mother who, you know, had her mother bear instincts. Her daughter was dying of, of uh, colitis in the forties or fifties before there was a lot of help around nutrition. And she started looking at monosaccharides, which are the single sugars um, that 
the, the digestive tract can deal with when you're really inflamed. And, but she did all of the dairy products fermented. So saying, you know, if you ferment them, you take the sugar away. It was, mm. so I tried that diet first. It didn't work for me. So mm. it was, when I went away to Hippocrates Health Institute, I, I spent a lot of time talking to the integrative physicians there. It was a physician run program. And then I've, I've taken off ever since. So then I ended up at the Tree of Life. I did a 33 day intensive with Gabriel Cousins, Dr. Gabriel Cousins. And then I went on to study for, it took me almost four years to get a, um, a master's in, in plant-based nutrition. And in that time, I was in contact with a lot of integrative physicians who are vegan. Some of the largest groups, as you all well know, the uh, Physicians Committee, Committee for Responsible Medicine, uh, started by Dr. Neil Bernard. And, um, and most of the wellness centers now around the world are, are vegan because that's the quickest way to heal and, and raw food vegan mostly. Mm -hmm. Wow. So do you still do entirely raw for your diet? No, I never really did. Cause I live in Canada and <laughs> so Gabriel and Northern, like a little far North, like we've had weather that's minus 38, you know, this winter. Wow. Um, and not every day, but, and the, the biggest thing is, is to feel good. But I recently decided to do a 30 day raw again, and you can heat things up in like, you can have things warm in the dehydrator. I can sip on a tea while I have it. I can make a beautiful raw salad and then just saute a little bit of uh, squash or something and put it in warm. And then my salad's warm because as soon as you cook food, you lose all the enzymes and pretty much all the phytonutrients. So if we can eat predominantly raw, like 80%, now, the problem with people, if there's anybody watching this, they're going to go, mm, that's the last thing my physician said, if I had Crohn's and colitis, all that, all that cellulose and scratchy fiber on the intestines. So what right. I did in the beginning is I mostly did juice and smoothies, and then I would eat a little bit of cooked squash, but I got a lot of nutrients from juicing, like drinking fresh green juice mm -hmm. and, and smoothies. And then, um, and then I would make a raw blender soup. So as long as it was in the beginning when you're, and it doesn't take long because the colon lining starts to regenerate itself in 72 hours. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, very, very quick. The whole digestive tract regenerates itself really, really quick yeah. huh. on purpose because yeah. we annihilated a lot in this world, uh, consciously and unconsciously, you know, we, like one serving of glyphosate, one of the main ingredients in the common sprays of all conventional food. Um, the studies say it creates leaky gut within 12 to 18 minutes. So oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. And for people unfamiliar, that's um, what used to be known as um, Roundup or it still is known as Roundup, correct? One of the main right. ingredients in Roundup, but you know, Roundup is a synergistic cesspool of over 200 toxins that haven't even been researched of how they interact with each other. So <laughs> lovely. <laughs> um, so first of all, I have so many questions. Um, <laughs> how did you find the Hippocrates Institute in the first place? I had a friend who went there with his sister because she had breast cancer in later stages and she really wanted to try to heal it naturally. So uh, a friend, and, and then I had another friend who um, had told me about a family that was, they were supporting a family because uh, this, this mother had brain cancer and they both went to Hippocrates. And there's quite a few um, wellness centers, but Hippocrates is, is physician and nurse um, 
monitored. So people that are in quite acute stages. So when I talked to them, it seemed like a good idea. And I, and I really do get my final like stamp um, through my intuition. Like it was just, I was, it was just such a pull. Yes. And I remember everyone saying, are you kidding? Like, cause our Canadian dollar isn't worth much in the States. Are you kidding? You're going to spend like almost $10,000 US to, to go somewhere for three weeks. And I'm like, I'll remortgage my house to figure out how to get well. Cause I had, I had really worked hard to be well naturally and it wasn't quite enough. I wasn't getting as well as I needed to get. And so I went on some medication. I finally gave in to my GI doctor, went on some medication called Remicade. It's a really, really harsh medication. It's a, it's, um, it, it's actually a, an immune suppressant drug because they think Crohn's is an autoimmune disease, but what it really is, is the body's attacking itself because there's stuff being put in daily that's forcing the body to go into an inflammatory state. And so I found out through word of mouth and Hippocrates was such a great um, space. I, I know Will Tuttle's there right now, but it's such a great space because they do mind, body, nutrition, you know, um, cold and hot plunges, saunas. They just do everything to really try to help us detox the body, mind, and spirit. And I think, and, and we're supported through all of that process. And so, yeah, so, so through word of mouth and it, it, I, I had no, um, it was the beginning of a really powerful um, time for me, but just to back up a little bit, I just had this thought. Um, I, the very last time before I went to Hippocrates, um, I was in, and I don't tell this story very often because I don't like to sensationalize really, really deep experiences. And, and almost every time I tell this story, I cry. But the very last time I was in the hospital for Crohn's, my daughter found me on the bathroom floor and I had actually died. Like I had actually crossed over. Um, the potassium got so low in my system that the, the potassium calcium pump of my heart stopped. And, and I, I don't know for a few minutes and it was wow. such a beautiful experience. Like I got to feel things and the colors I seen, I'm an artist and I got to see that. And it was just like, I was given this message. And of course it's all telepic. You're to come back to let people know they're loved. And I knew in that oh. moment, I would write a book and I would write a book about my journey through Crohn's and colitis, but also make it quite scientific based on my, I went into the hospital and I remember being so weak, but I was just, I had this big grin on my face the whole time. And there was a woman next to me. I was put in a room with a woman who basically just had been in the system, you know, the sick care system forever. And she wanted to talk to me and I was pretty weak, but it's like, yeah, it's okay. Older woman. And, and she said, the only time I'm touched is when people change my catheter. When she found out I was a massage therapist, she said, the only time I'm touched is when people change my catheter mm -hmm. or, you know, medical procedures. And, and I grabbed my IV pole and I literally held onto the wall to get myself over to her. And I put my hand on her hand and I could feel the energy of healing coming out of my mm -hmm. hand into her. And, and I knew I would never be in the hospital for Crohn's again. And I was given a really strong intuition to go, go to a wellness center and start studying. And I've never stopped studying. And that's what I teach, wow. teach nutrition. I teach uh, veganism and I teach wellness. I just, yeah. So that was that was a really um, sacred time for me. It was, it was one of those things that you never are the same. 
because as soon as the world kind of catch, I get caught in the world a little bit. I remember, oh, you're only here for love. Just love on people. And that's all you got to do today. However, that's wow. Yeah. Wow. So it really stayed with you because I know sometimes people do have dramatic experiences, but then they kind of evaporate and life proceeds as usual. But it sounds like yours actually changed significantly. Well, it changed in part. It's it stayed because um, six about six years, five or six years after that, after I really got a grip on my healing and I was well in on my way studying at, at the tree of life to get my master's uh, thesis. And that's why it took me four years instead of two um, is my son got sick. His heart started failing. They didn't know why. Oh. Um, and he did really well, you know, for uh, quite a while. And then he would be in the hospital at I, in ICU again. And they told him that, you know, the his only chance was a heart transplant. That wasn't going to happen. Oh. The very last time his heart failed and my son, prided himself on being an atheist. I, I don't, I, I have this really deep connection with stuff I can't even talk about. Um, it's fast, but my son prided himself on being an atheist. And, um, the last time before he ended up dying, he crossed over, he, they, and he went and thanked one doctor who worked on him. Three of the doctors were working on him and he was able to see it. He, he said he came over his body. He was able to see it. He gave me very, very little information because anything he couldn't talk about, um, anything he couldn't understand, he didn't want to talk about. And he said, and he was a 31 year old man uh, with, a, with a three year old little girl. He said, mom, um, one doctor stayed and wanted to continue working on me. Um, I seen stuff, I can't explain it. Selbo grandpa's waiting for me. That was my dad who just passed before that about six, seven months before that. And, um, and he said, I just came back to clean stuff up and I'm, and I'm going to die. And he did nine months later. Oh my and goodness. So being able to share that experience with him, even briefly, because when you have an experience, like my experience, um, it, you know, it's all kind of surreal and you wonder, well, maybe I just imagined it or whatever, but to have my son have an experience years later was really, um, so powerful for us to have shared that it was a very nonverbal sharing but it was like hmm. yeah this isn't it this 3d reality isn't it that's for sure wow i'm so sorry about your son he was only 31 you said or was he older when he wow yeah, 31 and um how many how many kids do you have or did you you know did you have when he was still with us i have i have two daughters um, two daughters. Okay. And, um, how do they eat? Did you, because you came to veganism when they were grown adults, I take it. So did um, your, did your changes in those realms? Go ahead. I always fed my kids lots and lots of vegetables. I, you know, I, I, the last thing I would eat in my home, cause we lived way in the middle of the bush in Northern Ontario. And so my dad would only go get a, a bit of fresh stuff once in a while is I would eat all the fresh stuff. Then I would go into the um, frozen vegetables and then I would go into the cat stuff and then I would eat the rest of the stuff after that food ran out. Um, so I really raised my kids on lots of fruit and vegetables, but they still had flesh food. I um, And my one daughter, when I came back from Hippocrates, I decided that I was not going to serve anything that wasn't in alignment with my, with my soul. 
And my daughter, she was about 18, 17, 18, my youngest. And she'd say, you know, mom, the only time I don't have a stomach ache is after I eat at your house. But she's <laughs> completely vegan. She eats mostly plant-based food. Um, but the most interesting piece is her two children. They're four and six. And my other daughter, who's actually living in the States, she's a oncologist, uh, veterinarian. And she said, I have never heard two children have so many conversations about veganism. So it's, it's, it's on the agenda constantly. Like, is this vegan? How come you don't, how come you don't want this? And so that's where I feel like I make, mm. I can have an influence on this next generation. And wow. it's me into, um, I started working with some, uh, a really beautiful soul Silesh Rao and climate healers. And I started a foundation that not, a, there's not a million of us yet, but Judy Carmen and I are kind of in the forefront of the million vegan grandmothers through climatehealers.org. Uh, and um, we're having uh, bi-monthly meetings and um, we're gonna see if we can gather a million of us vegan grandmothers. Judy's like, I'm sure that there's a million of us out there and we're gonna be a huge presence in the future. We're gonna be marching, you know, at. I, you know, maybe on Earth Day, part of our march is going to be for the cows who have lost all their calves. You know, it's a feminist issue. So, right, right. Um, well, I want to hear more about that. But first, I want to um, just delve in a little deeper to your experience, you know, beginning at Hippocrates. How was it when you first started making those changes in your diet? You, you said that you started feeling better very rapidly, but was it was it hard to to make that transition? The plant-based piece wasn't difficult because I was, I've always been preparing food. So, and they, they do a lot of teaching on how, but when you're, when you're in the kitchen and you love food and you're a foodie and you know how to make things with herbs and the majority of our food is plant-based, the majority of what we eat, we just have to switch that, like, you know, that piece of flesh that is part of like the main main part of our meal to saying that's not true actually you know and so that part's easy you know that part was really easy for me I and I think the most difficult thing I hear from other people when I'm teaching them is and Will said it on a really well Dr. Will Tuttle said it on a really beautiful video he sent out about 20 uh, 20 minute video he sent out a few days ago is he said we're tribal, we're tribal people. And so to say, you know, I'm not going to eat, you know, your food. That's hard for people. Like for them, that is how they were loved, how they connected, how they, you know, but for me, I did it with love. And that's the difference. I'd had this, I'd had this near-death experience. I knew I was only here for love. So then I would just bring two dishes wherever I went to eat. And people fell in love with my food. So they were like, can you make me dressing? Do you think you can make me food for a week? And, and it just shared the love. And if they, and then I would ask them, well, just if you make some, if you do steam a few veggies for, you know, Thanksgiving or whatever, just don't put butter on them. And I know a lot of vegans, they don't really want to eat at the same table as people that are eating flesh food. I had to soften some of that a little bit for myself just so I could be within a family, but be the representation. Mm -hmm. So I always believe it's so much easier to teach within a system than being on the outside teaching mostly only vegans, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's and, and just, 
just to add a little bit onto that, I know interviewing me is probably like trying to follow a rabbit down a rabbit hole. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm like. But, but the other day, my grandkids had this funny little thing going on. They wanted me to arm wrestle them. And I don't know where they got that from. I can't remember. But so, you know, we're, we're arm wrestling. And my, my six-year-old grandson said, could you arm wrestle mom? And she works out every day. She's a very beautiful fit. 30 year old woman and she does weights every day almost every day and she couldn't arm wrestle me <laughs> I held her up till she was tired and I put her down it it actually surprised me but it was like the conversation I had one hour before that is my grandson said I I heard on TikTok that um that you need meat to be strong and so I was just like, whoa, that was synchronistic. That was so fun. Perfect. Wow. Wow. What's your, what's your workout routine like? Do you, are um, you a big physical fitness person? No, but I do, <laughs> yoga. I do quite a bit of yoga and I do strong yoga. I don't end up doing it every day. And I'm also a massage therapist. I still see probably eight clients a week. But, you know, I was saying to my partner, who's also vegan, I said, you know, a huge part of our strength is our food, because what a lot of people don't understand is the other stuff. It really clogs us up. And it's not just the physical strength. It's the emotional, mental, spiritual strength. Hmm. And it draws in from the center, the center of our being when we're not clogged up. As Gabriel Cousins said, one of our main, my main teachers, Dr. Gabriel Cousins, who wrote some fantastic books, like one of them, Conscious Eating, my, you know, my vegan Bible. You know, it's, it's like when you have a little bit of dairy, it clogs up your 72,000 natties, like all your little energy centers that go around your chakras. Hmm. So it's also that a lot of people think, you know, it's, it's what's coming in, but it's what's not coming in. That's so big. You know, it's what, what isn't coming into you. What isn't coming into your mind because you're eating fear, death, and suffering. What isn't coming in, what, it, what you're not allowing to stay in your psyche. There's a certain freedom with being vegan that a lot of people don't understand. Mm. It's like I'm not partaking in that. And it makes me so much stronger. Mm-hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I resonate with that quite a bit. I remember I, I went vegan for ethical reasons, not because I thought it was healthier. I didn't know it was healthier. But then when I learned that, oh, this really is the optimal diet for us humans, it really struck me on an intuitive level. Well, duh, you know, how could consuming these products of torture and suffering be beneficial to my body, just on that intuitive level, it just didn't make sense. And, um, one other story that I'll share is I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a religious person. I definitely have a spiritual bent, but I don't practice organized religion, but I was at a vegetarian vegan meetup group in New York city and was chatting with this man who was a devout Christian had been, you know, born and raised and was, was very, um, pious and sincere in his religious beliefs. And he had gone vegan because everyone in his family was getting diabetes and he had been diagnosed with diabetes. And so he started eating plant-based a year later, you know, that problem was solved. And he told me that even though he'd done it for health reasons, he'd made this change. He'd never, never in his life felt closer to Jesus than he had after going vegan. And again, I just 
love that because intuitively it just makes sense where even if you're not doing it ostensibly for reasons of compassion or concern for other living beings, you're still acting in love, you know, you're taking a loving action. And so it only makes sense that of course, why wouldn't you feel closer and more connected to your creator? Um, how did your massage practice change after you went vegan? Did you notice any difference? Maybe that's not a logical question, but I'm curious if it, if it changed, you know, how you, how you felt, how you touched, how you connected. I think the one thing after, um, after connecting deep in, like having a near-death experience and then, and then going that way, the one thing that really happened for me is I, I, I could, you know, I could go to the forest and run for two hours. And when that all stopped, when my body started wasting away before I, I, you know, had the experiences of going veganism and all the things that brought me to that place, I think there was a level of humility that happened. And I'm, I feel like I'm even more tender with people than I've ever been. It's kind of like, you know, by the grace of God, go I, you know, Mm. and so I can, I feel like I can be that kind of vegan that doesn't, you know, um, look down at people mm. or even decide, you know, maybe I don't even want to practice uh, working with people that aren't vegan, you know. Um, I feel like I became more tender and more um, present for sure, for sure, for sure. Uh, I was already pretty steeped in the body-mind uh, energetics. I was a social worker before I was a massage therapist. Mm. I really understood that we store a lot of emotion in our body and and we repress a lot. So I was already quite aware that, you know, I might touch a part of the body that um, triggers a memory that had been repressed. But I, I think I became quite a bit more intuitive. Like one of the biggest comments I get a lot, like really frequently is, you knew everywhere on my body that I needed you to work the most. She just like automatically went to. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because I would have this idea, I'm going to start on the legs and then spirit would have me go right up to a shoulder and, and mm-hmm. I would start working on that shoulder a little bit first to clear something that I felt had to be cleared before I could do the, they, how did you know that? Like, that's exactly, mm-hmm. like it's not like you don't do an inventory or a case history before they come, but there's parts that they don't even know are their most um, stressed and triggered parts like the jaw, like a lot of people hold a lot of stress in their jaw and they don't know it. And yeah, so I feel like I became a lot more intuitive. I, I felt mm. like I was intuitive, but I became a lot more intuitive and a lot um, more tender. Yeah. Wow. That's very, very interesting that you use that word tender because earlier you were talking about being a compassionate warrior or warrior of compassion, maybe was your term, but yeah, that's, that's beautiful. I I had a recent guest who also mentioned that he felt more empathy for humans after going vegan, which again was somewhat the opposite of what I anticipated. So that's lovely that you're experiencing that too. Um, So tell me about this project you have with the grandmothers. What, what is it and how did you first conceive all of it? I have a really uh, amazing friend. His name is Jeff Francis. He's from the UK and he found me through one of my pieces of art that maybe, you know, before we go into our few seconds of silence, I'll read. It's uh, called the Jubilee. It was a message of hope just before I had um, 
this near-death experience to get out to the world with this painting I did. And Jeff found me in an artist co-op. He just had his 50th vegan anniversary. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and we became fast friends. I mean, this whole technology thing, you know, you could actually <laughs> really get to know people over this. It's, you know, like I, like I had the pleasure of being part of a, a community with you and uh, Jeff, Jeff sent me this, um, this thing. He said, you know, you're so connected to your grandkids. I see, I had this dream that you're going to gather like a thousand grandfathers <laughs> together. And I'm like, oh, and then I had a dream the next night about the same sort of thing. And then Silesh and Judy kind of said simultaneously, Dr. Silesh Rao, who started Climate Healers based on a pinky promise to his uh, granddaughter. Oh, uh, not sure if you're familiar with the pinky promise. But no it's story. And he just finished writing the book and he's touring India right now um, on the pinky promise and plus going to places like Satna Forest. But he, um, it was basically, I think that there's going to be a million of us, Judy and <laughs> Salesh, who are both super intuitive, long time, you know, advocates and activists, you know. And so it kind of went dormant for a little bit. This idea came almost a year ago and went pretty dormant because everyone's got a full life. But this year feels like the year. It started out uh, with a podcast uh, talk that I did with, with the Interfaith Vegan Coalition with Lisa Levinson. And she said, this is the year we're going to galvanize a million vegan grandmothers. So wow! Uh, right now it's in conjunction with climatehealers.org. And um, so if people go on to climatehealers.org, there's there's a place to sign up and join the Village of Vegan Grandmothers. You don't have to be a grandmother, just ask that you be vegan and you support the grandmothers. And hopefully by Earth Day, we have a really strong force and we start our um, vegan Earth Day March in different cities, you know, bringing awareness. One of the big things is in these places we want to be able to serve we started world food healers day in november climate healers because we believe that if everyone can have access to a whole food healthy plant-based meal every day that um it would change the world and you know grandmothers feed people and so if right. we can bring grandmothers together to actually teach the upgraded way of healing the other thing that the grandmothers have said to me the vegan grandmothers is they feel just knowing the other grandmothers are with them and, and behind them um, are is, is such a huge upgrade, such a support. And then when you go into climatehealers.org, you'll see our little introduction video that we actually just finished uh, about a month ago. And it just speaks a little bit of, you know, what the grandmothers uh, want to want to be want to be gathering for. And, you know, in every tradition um, until, you know, we started kind of eradicating that when we started uh, forgetting a lot of other things, the grandmothers were held in very high regards. They were the, they were the mm -hmm. wisdom carriers. And they often in a lot of families, they were the ones that got to make the final decision. Huh. So grandmothers all start preparing plant-based vegan food. The world will change really quickly when they, when they enter that household and say to the whole works of the household, you know, especially in these multi-generational family homes, we're going vegan. This is what we're preparing now. Um, the shift will happen soon, you know? Wow. Um, a couple of questions. First of all, is Climate Healers a vegan organization? 100% vegan. Yes. So the 
Yeah, and, and the other part of Climate Healers at Speak in World 2026. So Silesh, Dr. Silesh Rao uh, is a systems engineer who actually was one of the founders of the high-speed internet. Incredible oh, wow. Soul. And when he, he was working uh, with Al Gore for a while and he was crunching his own numbers and Al Gore pretty much refused to address animal agriculture as one of the leading causes of the destruction of our planet. And so he left working uh, with Al Gore and started realizing his, his granddaughter was born, who he said just completely shifted his focus. And he got permission from his partner and his wife and, and the family to dedicate 100% of his time to moving towards a vegan world by 2026. And that number came as a systems analysis engineer when he crunched the number at the rate of wildlife diversity that we were losing wildlife that's how long we had till we were past the tipping point. So that seems really alarming, but I think we do need to gather together. And I think the next three years, we're going to see a lot of people shift to veganism. It's not going to be, it's not going to be a sideline anymore. It's going to be the majority of the population. I, I believe 50% of the people will be vegan by 2026, whether they, whether they come because they choose to, whether they come because they're ill or whether they come because they know that they won't have a planet left to, you know, Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I hope, I hope you're right. I hope it's even sooner than 2026. I, my understanding was that Al Gore is vegan now. Is that not accurate? Well, Silesh must've been on him because he wasn't for a while. Okay, yeah. good, good. Well, well, we'll have to make sure to include all that information in the show notes so that people can find all of this. Um, what about your own grandkids? Are they actually vegan or are they just very vegan friendly and vegan conscious? So no, cause my daughter and her husband aren't. So my daughter mm -hmm. is doesn't really like, she prefers plant-based food. Her husband's uh, likes a lot of, a fair bit of flesh food and cheese. So it's kind of that tribal thing again, you know, until she's ready to make that leap. But the one thing I do do is I, like I said, I keep it in love and I keep it in integrity. I actually take care of my, uh, my grandchildren that are four and six quite regularly once a week or twice a week. And the boundaries I put up the are that they only get served plant-based vegan food when I'm with them. And we talk about it, you know, when mm. my grandma's like, but I want like real cheese. And I'm like, you mean cow cheese? And, <laughs> you know, cause we don't do that. And, you know, the baby cows, you know, they get taken away from your mother so we can have that cheese. And I know that might seem heavy for some people, but it's actually just regular conversation and they can handle it. They can handle it. We, they can we really handle it. Yeah, for sure. And so it, it becomes that kind of conversation it's just like oh sweetheart I love you so much and you know and I also love all the animals that you know should be able to be kept with their with their mummies and yeah right. and handle it with but they will go back to cheese because that's what their mother will make them a cheese sandwich or whatever and the biggest thing for me is to stay in my own integrity to keep the conversation going and to love them because some of the some of the grandmothers that have been vegan and raised their kids vegan, their kids aren't even choosing, their adult kids aren't even choosing to stay vegan. And some mm -hmm. are, some are, you know, mm -hmm. I interviewed uh, uh, Freya uh, Dinsha, you know, she started the American Vegan Society and she's in her 80s and she's still going strong. She opened up another 
storefront in Philadelphia. She raised her children vegan and her grandkids are vegan. Um, but that isn't always the case. And, mm-hmm. and we, if we pull away from our family, then we can't be that shining example of wrestling our daughter down with just our vegan diet or whatever it is. I know that sounds kind of, you know, superficial, but it really is about being that shining example. And the only way people really do hear is if they don't feel judged and you just be that person that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 60 soon. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't ever see myself being on any medication. I mean, I think Will said that's, Uh, in his little interview the other day or his little talk that, you know, 60, 85% of people by the time they reach 65 are on medication. And it's even that half of our children are medicated by the time they're 18. This is Yeah. Yeah. So if we can be that shining example and we get older and older, like Dr. Gabriel Cousins spoke at uh, my yoga community last weekend and he's he's turning 80 this year wow green juice and solid and he um did 2000 consecutive push-ups that <laughs> wow right? wow <laughs> so i'm just gonna shine like i just shine that's what i do i teach right. that this is and i do it in joy and love right because yeah and i think you make a great point that there's no benefit to be gained in disconnecting with from people that we care about over the vegan issue because again it's it's counter to the whole concept of love which is what the vegan message is all about and i know for me sometimes i realize that if i really examine my own motives very carefully sometimes i'm looking for an excuse to isolate or disconnect from other people And so I know my own tricks. And so sometimes if I see myself getting into more, more of a judgmental mode regarding my veganism, then that's, that's a sign. Okay. What am I trying to avoid here about being with people? And Will Tuttle's book, the world's peace diet really helps me tremendously in not walking around with that sense of judgment and resentment toward people who are still consuming these so-called foods. I'm sure, I'm sure that book meant something to you as well. That book means so much to so many people because how could you not make the connections once you read the world peace diet? Yeah. And it's true. We have all been brainwashed. Yeah. Um, and we, and, and our parents didn't know any better. And, you know, if you do a lot of work on yourselves in, into your, you know, when you realize that you're, there are things that you don't want to repeat, and it sounds like you've, you've done that or even things that you want to upgrade, you know, in all fairness to our parents, because I don't really know if that was the generation um, that was supposed to do that for me anyways, you know, my parents are past now, but they're, you know, they would have been getting close to a hundred probably. Mm-hmm. And, and they just, they were, they were surviving. They, they yeah. wanted to food. That's what they thought about. You know, they wanted to eat food. There wasn't huge incomes. You know, my, my father hunted all of our, flesh food. And and that's how he was able to feed his family. So I don't judge that. I just know that we don't have to do that anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so tell me how you came to pursue this graduate degree and what was, what was the title of the degree? Was it live food nutrition? Was that the program? Yeah. Live food, spiritual nutrition. And Gabriel didn't want to be part 
part of the system. So he was doing it in conjunction with the University of Integrative um, Medicine and, and Science and Medicine of California. So even though I studied in Arizona and it was an actual real education, so much of the education system has been bought and they're still promoting a lot of disease, promoting food. I had an education and an actual education based on the leading science on plant-based nutrition. And I did my uh, master's thesis on um, metabolic disease and um, wellness in regards to plant-based nutrition and lifestyle. And I did it on the, I did it the microbiome interface with uh, metabolic disease and health. And it's, um, and lifestyle, because that's a huge part of it, you know, whether it's meditation or yoga, I mean, even some of the research and looking at the microbiome and how quickly it shifts from a, from, you know, spending two or three days, they can test your microbiome. And then you spend two or three days ruminating on all the things that have been bothering you. And it starts to actually change the microbiome Wow, bacteria or all the research on plant-based nutrition and, and that really good fiber that feeds because fiber, healthy fiber is a prebiotic and how much healthier and how much more healthy diversity there is in a, in a whole food plant-based diet um, gut versus a meat eater because meat and flesh food and the secretions of, of that dairy really do create a lot of pathogenic bacteria. And so um, so, so was it, was it that research that prompted you to write your book, earth gut? I, I had a really deep intuition that I would write after I had this near death experience, but I didn't think that I would write a thesis on the microbiome and add like the last section has a lot of science on the microbiome, um, earth gut. And it, so it's in three sections, peace, love, and microbes, because that's how we're going to heal. And Earth Gut, originally it was going to be called the story of peace, love, and microbes, but it changed to Earth Gut, you know, through dream time again, a little bit catchier of a title, because our gut is a complete representation of the earth. We either praise mm. it or it. And, and the celebration of earth shows up in our gut. So the celebration and the annihilation shows up in our gut. And I knew I would write that, but I didn't know it would contain, you know, the information that I, that I was able to gather from my thesis, which was really helpful. At first I tried to write a book as my thesis because Gabriel would allow us to be, you know, somewhat flexible, but he was, he's a very intuitive spiritual man. And he, um, he said, no, he didn't accept it. So it got me, you know, catapulted into writing a little bit of my book, quite a bit of it, tried to tried to uh, submit it as a thesis. And he's like, no, I think if you want to write on the microbiome, I want to, I want a thesis. I want a thesis on the microbiome. <laughs> so I, I dove deep into the research over the next um, year. And, and I was really glad I did because it allowed me to help people really simply make the connection between the gut and everything that goes on in the, the body. I said, you know, your, your, your mental state is coming from your gut. Um, like even there's, there's microbes surrounding every neuron to decide mm. how that neuron's going to function, you know, mm. crazy. It's, it's crazy. The assistance of the microbiome and the mic and the, and the bacteria within the mitochondria, like they know that, mm -hmm. they know that, that they know that microbes even, even have such a huge effect on your mitochondria, you know, our, our power centers of our bodies. So, Yeah. So it was really wow. exciting. 
it was it was really the leading research that was going on. We went from just studying the brain to understanding the brain gut connection in that era, which was, you know, a few years ago, you know. Wow. Really- so tell me this, what would you say are the different sort of tiers of health associated with different ways of eating? For instance, how much would you say taking your nutrition to this level, you know, the high, high raw food, unprocessed organic as compared to say a regular whole food plant-based diet that incorporates lots of cooked food. What what do you feel about the different levels of health that people can achieve? And I guess my real question is how necessary is it to, to do this much? Um, well, the first thing we, you know, humans have this incredible way of making things difficult. You know, we overthink things and we're not really good at loving ourselves as easily and as deeply as we can, you know? So that's the first thing I'll say, because really it's easy. Most mm-hmm. stuff that can change are easy and we have a way of making them difficult. And, you know, Gabriel says the easiest way to change that the most important thing in change is self-love. That's on the top. He has a huge lift and mm-hmm. it's because unless we have enough self-love, we won't, we're not, ne- we're never really listening to ourselves. So the first thing I would say in regards to that is when we start doing the research and do enough investigation on conventional food versus organic and, and biodynamic food. And I have a great place in the province next to me uh, called Mum Sprouts, M-U-M-M-S. And I think actually even in the States, there's quite a bit of Mum Sprouts available, but they're an organic family run biodynamic business. And in the winter, I can like just soak a little bit of seeds I have some soaking now like mung beans and 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 then you know two or three days have a jar full of sprouted sprouts right or a tray in the winter and I could have fresh fruit growing all the time jar sprouts take no time at all Mm. and I can fresh biodynamic food that's living till I eat it here in in the winter but when we understand how much sprays and chemicals are on our food we want to try to find as much organic biodynamic within our within our you know within our budget that we can and make it so that it really does cut down the cost so i can grow a jar of sprouts it's an organic biodynamic sprouts that will cost me maybe 30 cents right Mm. um i can sprout some quinoa for maybe 25 30 cents for some organic quinoa um, sprout uh, to put in my salad, or I can cook a bit and put it in my, but it's really, really important to understand to try to get our food as clean as possible, because it's not just for our own bodies that have to detoxify all those pesticides and chemicals and residuals. It's also for the workers in the field that we don't want to support. I mean, people that are in grape fields and, you know, their babies are born without limbs. I know this sounds right. These chemicals, we don't want to support how they completely annihilate our soil. And so that conventional food doesn't have, doesn't, it's not grown in living soil. And I'll, I'll just do the antidote to this, a really beautiful spiritual story. Uh, and I'll dedicate this little, little story to Dr. John Phillips, the, the biologist who was at the tree of life, but he brought to the tree of life EM 
It stands for effective microorganisms. And I, I, I teach everyone to use EM because it's one of the best fertilizers for the gut. You can order it at ontarioorganics.com. I'm not part of the company. But the nice thing about EM is that you can keep you can keep culturing it. So you can buy one bottle and you can keep culturing mm. it 20 times, every bit, you can culture 20 times over. So you probably never have to buy another bottle in years and years. So it's very um, uh, effective. But there's a young man who came from a very wealthy family. His name is Alex Johnson. He studied at the Tree of Life. His, his family has one of the largest conventional growing high, you know, growing lands in California. Uh, I can't remember how many thousand acres. And he came back from the tree of life and he said to his dad, I want to start inoculating the soil with EM and see how quickly it'll turn around mm-hmm. testing. You know, like usually it's three years to turn soil around till you can claim it's organic. He was managing to do that with the EM in a year, a year and a half. And the produce was strong and functional. So mm-hmm. the is we have a lot of stuff now that's been invented that and there's a beautiful story behind em that i could share at another time but the founder of it in japan dr hinga um was looking for an antidote to clean up the radiation of fukushima and he said that he has downloaded this formula from kuan yin the passion and so, and, and I use it for all my ferments and, uh, like I have, some what, things. what is it exactly? Is it like a powder or liquid? I can't help me visualize of different, um, microbes that when put together, it helps fertilize. So it's not like taking a probiotic. So I, I wrote a little bit about EM in my master's thesis. It's not like taking a, a probiotic that's going to completely inoculate you with, um, so much inf- you know, infidus, like, you know, say lactobacillus infidus, and your body, you know, gets flooded with this. We have such a wide, um, like such a large diversity of, of, of potentially healthy microbes in our gut. And some of them are just really too few in number. Some of them don't exist because maybe we had too much antibiotics when we were young, but the ones that are, it's like a fertilizer for the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And you can, take, like, they sell it um, like a probiotic. So you could take a teaspoon of it, but you can actually take, this is what I learned at the tree of life. You can actually take that and culture it 20 times over. So one ounce of the EM, if you buy it, EM one, it's called Ontario organics stands for effective microorganisms. One ounce of that with 20 parts water and one ounce of molasses to feed it in a jar on your counter for 10 days. And you can take every ounce of that after and culture it 20 times again. Wow. It's great stuff. And I help a lot of people heal gut issues just with EM and going more plant-based, you know, because you're not going to be able to turn people's diets around right away, but you know, people learn quickly that nothing tastes as good as feeling good feels. Right. Right. So how is your, your Crohn's and your colitis? Are those just distant memories or do you ever have any ill effects from those these days? Um, well, I, I don't say my Crohn's or Cletus. And when people used to say that, even when I was healing, cause I, you know, I was kind of part of love traction groups. Like, no, it's not mine. It's just a visitor. I got some stuff to learn. Some nice. To- yeah. It's <laughs> funny that, that even crossed my mind as I, as I spoke it, I was like, I don't know that she really wants to claim it. <laughs> I'm claim it. Um, 
I had quite a bit of damage in those few years while I was learning to heal. And, and also, and I, I just really want to say this, it's not just the physical food. That's what was a huge part of it because it was setting up the terrain to heal. Um, but it was also the emotions I had to release in my gut. And I cried a lot in those four years, but I was such a high end person that I didn't stay still long enough to really be able to dive deep. I didn't even know I could but then I wasn't given a choice. So I healed a lot of sadness and in traditional Chinese medicine, all organs store an emotion and the large intestines store sadness. And I had a lot of sadness from my childhood that I had to kind of excavate and really look at and forgive and blah, 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 blah. But if I eat, if I eat like, you know, stuff that I'm not supposed to eat, I'm not talking about non-vegan, but just stuff I'm not supposed to eat too many days and I have some accumulated stress, I will start feeling a little yucky in my gut and then I can come back to that. But um, to get really personal, and I know that we're coming to a close here, but to get really, really personal in that time, the inflammation was so bad in my intestines. I developed something called a fistula and a fistula is actually where the lining gets so deteriorated that it actually develops a pathway, almost like a tunnel. And what it'll do is it doesn't want to keep winding around. So you actually have a hole through your intestines. It doesn't want to keep winding into your system. The system's so self-healing by design, it'll attach to another organ. So I developed this fistula that doesn't really heal very easily. Often people, if it's really bad, they'll get try to get surgery on it and whatnot. But I have no issues with that unless I eat really bad. And then I'll, I'll start feeling some inflammation in this fistula that will create some issues hmm. But when I was in the hospital, they told me because I have a fistula, I'd be on antibiotics off and on for the rest of my life. And I'm like, not a chance. Wow. And, and I haven't been on any antibiotics and I haven't been in the hospital and I know what to do. And that's why I'm so passionate to help people. Mm. Some small amounts of changes and some breath work and some self-love, it goes such a long way. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to be out, you know, rocking our mission and being of service to the world. If we're ill, we just don't have the energy. Right. Right. And so these days, are you still at that 80% raw level or just give us a sense of kind of how you eat on a regular basis? So in regards to eating, like I, I, I say to what I, I taught on um, a chakra uh, course um, through seven days of rest, a beautiful organization, nonprofit organization. Um, and I, I showed people in a blender in 12 minutes, how you can make all your food for the day <laughs> instead of making a green juice, which takes people too long and the produce and whatnot, we put some cucumbers and lemon in there, a little piece of apple, uh, you know, half a cucumber. So there's a lot of living food because then this, the research is, and I can get more to that. It's in my book, sacred sovereignty, the infinity eight path to heal, which is online available which is the second book I wrote. Um, you can take these vegetables, add some water, blend them, strain it. Because in the morning, if your body doesn't have to deal with fiber, it can just, it can just um, uh, we're in our biggest detoxifying state till 11 or 12. So if you could bring some nice electrolyte liquid in there and let the body have a couple more hours to detox, that's really helpful. And then I take that pulp right away and I put it back in the blender and I add what I'm going to add for my smoothie. And I have that when I'm hungry, it might be 11 o'clock. And then in that same blender, I either make a dressing or I make like a blender soup. And I just kind of did this little seven day chakra, went through all the different colors each day. There was different colored food that mm -hmm. we, 
And I'm like, hey, you can make your food in 15 minutes in the blender. Because <laughs> what I love to teach is I love to blow our minds open and say, just a few tools, get, get a really good blender, like a Vitamix, if you can, at some point, you know, save up, ask for it for Christmas and get a fairly inexpress- inexpensive food processor. And mm-hmm. that's what I teach. Like I say, hey, let's make raw tacos. How how difficult do you think it's going to be? And literally, I put my wallets and my herbs, and I in my in my food processor. It's like, wah, 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 wah. okay, scrape that out. Don't even have to clean it. Put in my tomatoes. Make my tomato sauce. There's a little bit of tomato sauce residue in there. Throw my avocados in there. My lime. Wah, wah, wah. Have the have the um, have the uh, the raw. Um, romaine shells and then I usually have some cheese some vegan cheese fermented and I don't use cashews a lot because they're not in my area but I have hemp hearts and sunflower mm-hmm. seeds that grow here so I that's usually my cheese because it's way less money um it just still tastes great you know and wow. so I make it super easy and like raw tacos in 15 minutes so if I had a friend say hey we're going to come by for dinner as long as I had some supplies I could whip up something in my food processor that's amazing. It yeah. sounds difficult to me. I'm going to be honest, listening, listening to you describe those steps sounds to me like it would take me much longer than 15 minutes, but I, I believe you. I well, you know what you. we can do? We can have a podcast in the future and we will make raw tacos in 50 to 20 minutes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll put it on the list. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tammy. You've just really expanded, expanded my mind and just injected such a lovely note of fun and joy into what can be a very heavy subject when we're talking about animals and things that are happening to the planet. So thank you for that. Um, is there anything we didn't cover or any upcoming projects you'd like to mention before we wrap up? Mm-hmm. Well, I will provide you with the links for my books where people can get earth gut, the story of sovereignty. Right now, my partner and I are working on a book. Uh, it was kind of an intuition last year um, because I feel like a lot of people are in grief. And I think what's happened with everything going on in the planet is people are becoming more aware um, is it's triggering old grief that hasn't been healed. And so I studied Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief and realized we need an upgrade on that. We can't get stuck in anger, denial, apathy, and in, in all respect to Dr. Kubler-Ross. And I, um, I wrote five other stages of grief. And um, so I think the preliminary stages of grief are Kubler-Ross's before we even get to acceptance. But acceptance will be, okay, we accept that we've been hoodwinked, that we've been lied to by systems. And then my first stage of grief starts at the felt sense shock and surprise. It's like, oh my, okay, I got to feel it viscerally. I got to feel it somatically. No, okay, this is actually happening. The next stage is empathy. So empathy for ourselves and others. And then um, love and care. At, no, creative action. And then we go into a creative pathway. So for me, it was writing books after my son died, doing my thesis, just writing, writing, writing. It really helped move the grief into creative action and then the fourth stage is love and care so we really need to do this with love and care or else we burn out we lose our creative action and then the last one is we discover new pathways in community to to heal wonderful the process of writing uh it's going to be called grief mapping yeah oh beautiful beautiful Okay. Last question. This is something I like to ask all my guests. Is there a particular word that for you sums up what being vegan is all about? 
remembering. Mm-hmm. And where did that come from? Does that mean just remembering what our bodies live on and are designed to function and thrive on? Remembering that we're children of the light. I watched my grandkids since they were born. I was able to be at the birth of my granddaughter and they remember how to be love and light, you know, unless mm-hmm. through other means like vaccinations and they won't get in there. Children, children remember that they're mm-hmm. loved. You know, they just, so it's remembering in all the ways they remember. They remember how to stop eating before they're full. They remember that they're supposed to move their body all the time. Mm-hmm. It's remembering that we're children of the light. We really are, that we're light mm-hmm. beings and that we're not meant to leave this world carrying sack of regrets. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Tammy Hay, for joining us today. Um, we, <laughs> we close every episode by taking 30 seconds of silence for all of the suffering animals, human and non-human who desire, as we all do, safety, happiness, and the freedom to live out their lives without interference. And we'll conclude with the sound of the bell. So Tammy, I invite you to join me in 30 seconds of silence for the animals. Thank you, Tammy. And thank you, Posse. See you next time. Until then, stay strong and stay true.